Welcome to Inviting Doom, a podcast about faith, bad theology, and stepping into ideas marked as dangerous for the soul. I'm Sarah, one of your hosts. And I'm Krista. We'd love you to join us as we unlearn old beliefs, navigate current issues, and explore the previously unexplored religious frameworks in our lives. Hi, everyone. Um, We are on our third episode um, that is talking about signs and symptoms of religious trauma that we had been talking about uh, since we read Dr. Winnell's piece. And you can go back to our previous episodes to uh, where we sort of dig more into that. But just as a sort of refresher, um, we're going to talk to Krista today specifically like about her experiences and her sort of reckoning with some of these signs and symptoms. And if we look at Dr. Winnell's piece as a recap, we were talking both about some of the things that we can feel while we're in the system of uh, religious groups, high demand religious groups, and also what the effects are when we struggle to figure out the effects of those things on our lives and start to question things and start to leave. So some of these religious trauma symptoms can be while you're still in that community, mm-hmm. and some of them can be as you're grappling with the theology and as you're trying to process them and make sense of them. And so some of the things that Dr. Winnell had talked about are these feelings of terror and helplessness, uh, intrusive thoughts, uh, negative emotional states or impaired social functioning. So being in with other groups of people and not being sure how to interact or what to do or what's expected of you, Uh, difficulty making decisions, trouble thinking of self, like how you view yourself and how you fit, lack of meaning or direction, and Other things include just anxiousness about being, quote unquote, in the world. That can include like panic attacks, fear of damnation and making the wrong decisions, bitterness, betrayal, guilt, grief and loss, sort of as you're processing and leaving some of these communities, Mm -hmm. Um, difficulty in, in expressing emotions and not having been able to make those connections to your emotions while in a high demand religious group. Substance use, nightmares, perfectionism, discomfort with sexuality, negative body image. Of course, when you leave some of these groups, there's going to be a rupture of family and social networks that can lead to loneliness and problems relating to society and how you fit in now that you no longer are in some of those groups. So that's a huge long list. And Krista, when we had first gone over this list, you had said so many of these. You were like, check, check. Oh, yeah. I'm going to hand the floor over to you. And I don't know if there's one of those that you want to use as a jumping off point. Is there anything in there that really sticks out right away? Oh, there, there's yeah. a handful. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting because so many of them ring true for me. And yet at the same time, I didn't feel like any of my symptoms in any of those buckets were so severe that I I would have named them as like a clinical diagnosis or problem, Mm -hmm. you know, like at the time, many of those times I, I didn't really understand what I was experiencing or didn't have the, like the foresight to, to be able to name each one of those things. But in retrospect, I can understand them a lot better, especially now where I'm at. 
But I was thinking about how for every one of these signs and symptoms, there's such a spectrum of experience from, you know, slight inconvenience from shallow to acute, you know, and in some ways, you know, all of my experiences, I would say, weren't these harsh, severe things that completely upended my life, even though I would say that my journey was a struggle. And then when I was thinking about that, I also thought how unvalidating it is for me to almost not give them the right, how do I say it? Like, it's almost like I'm not giving myself permission to just acknowledge that experiencing those things sucked. It's almost mm-hmm. like some of that pressure to be perfect or to handle it or God wouldn't give you more than you deserve or something is still still in my being a bit because obviously these things were a struggle for me. And some of these signs and symptoms don't have like a diagnosis. Like you don't have a diagnosis for wondering and confusion and <laughs> feeling lost in general, you know, so wandering I, around. <laughs> yeah. And so I think sometimes I can lean more on the clinical side, like, well, I'm not diagnosed with depression. Well, it's like, well, okay, okay, girl, you're not. But at the same time, you definitely experience some intrusive thoughts, for example, like, I still, I would say that even though I, I'm not kept awake at night, I don't have nightmares about like my salvation or anything. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I wonder at least multiple times a day, how, how far off I am from the truth. And if I'm getting it wrong, and what if I'm getting it wrong? And does God really see how earnest I am trying to be and I'm just trying my best. And then like going down the rabbit holes, even today while I was in the shower, I was thinking about this of like, if I'm getting it wrong, like, is he really just going to send me to hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm trying my best here and would a good God do that? I don't think a good God would do that. And then, you know, it's just like pulling the thread over and over again. And that's just touching on the subject of intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. right? That's just one aspect and it's in my daily life. And we've talked about on the podcast before about how I just refuse to be an atheist and that comes back to these intrusive thoughts and the and the that fear. Standard. Yeah. And that fear of getting it wrong or missing the mark or being outside the will of God. And yet so much of the logic in my life and the evidence in my life points away from the evangelical version of God. And I can't quite come to a place of peace with that almost ever. And I'm I'm not I'm not wrestling with it to the point again where I'm like losing sleep or I'm having panic attacks, but it is part of my just existence at this point. So that like that was the first one that I wrote down because mm-hmm. it is just, you know, constant and it's how just the say- it's the voice in your head, right? Yeah. And how do you sort of meet those intrusive thoughts when they come up? How do you frame them or how? Because it is is a lot to deal with when it's so obvious that there is a standard, like you're always told Mm -hmm. that there isn't and that God like loves everybody and his love is unconditional and that, you know, you don't have to earn his love. And then you realize that as soon as you start stepping outside that you actually are petrified about not making it and you realize that there's a line there and I'm just wondering like how you emotionally as you're in your busy day like Mm -hmm. that even or I feel like honestly I always come back to the same 
position where, you know, at some point you just have to get on with your day. So sometimes it's just like, I'm, my thoughts are interrupted because I have a meeting starting at work mm -hmm. or I have to get my daughter up from her nap and it, it's just a distraction. But otherwise I always come back to this same notion that if there is a God and he is good, I just cannot believe that he would toss me in a burning lake of fire and condemn me for eternity. Mm. Like something so cruel that I wouldn't even do to somebody's pet that I didn't know, let alone my own child. Like I just can't accept that. And I, so a lot of times if I'm kind of getting wrapped up into it, I, I just kind of land there and think like, I can't sort this out. Like, I just have to surrender that again <laughs> and embrace the fact that I don't know, but that I can't, I just cannot believe that that would be true. Like, that cannot be a fact in my life and trying to reteach myself that that, that can't be true. That yeah. can't be true. It doesn't fit with a loving, all loving God who made me and created me and there was no flaw in me. And, you know, how, how can, how can he make me in my mother's womb and knit me together and yet toss me in a burning lake of fire for eternity. I just don't know how that works. So anyway, that's, that's an intrusive thought. It's really light and fluffy. Light for a Tuesday evening. Yeah. <laughs> but it is hard because you, you're also very aware that you are, you're making truth relative to yourself. You know how we're always told like truth isn't relative. Like there's yeah. the Bible is true and that's it. And that's the word mm -hmm. of God. And, and once you sort of get to the point where you are and where I am, you're realizing that you are actually redefining God yourself. <laughs> like you're actually yeah. deciding what God is, you know what I mean? Based on logic and based on experience. And so that's a petrifying place to be because you realize that you've gone outside that little golden circle line where you're always told the humanistic version of everything is just truth is relative. Truth is relative. You're like, yeah, so I'm there now and I'm actually recreating a God that makes sense to me that mm -hmm. is in the Bible in parts, but not. Yeah. And if that doesn't scare the bejesus out of you. <laughs> You know. It definitely makes me pause. Yeah, like I don't want to be wise in my own eyes. I want to believe the real truth. And we've always been told that, you know, the truth is God's truth. And it's always been the version of truth that's been given to us from our leaders and from our parents. But I kind of think now I'm the leader of myself. I have replaced you know, the I'm no longer in submission to church leaders and I'm no longer in submission to my husband, you know, quote unquote, I am the leader of myself. And that if I'm critically thinking, a lot of those things don't make sense to me. And why shouldn't I make up my own theology when every other man in history has made up their own, I mean, church leaders anyway, and their own denomination. So I might as well have my own. <laughs> it sounds really cocky, but at the same time, it's like, you know what? Other people have done this and they're totally fine with that. And I think if there's a great blind spot because the reality is, is the reason we have so many denominations is because churches have literally split they are, oh, yeah. they are in their belief systems are incompatible and they require they that they need to start an entire new church. So I think like that should give you some peace that mm -hmm. people in creating their own version of God yeah. based, you know, out of scripture or select scriptures for forever. Ever, forever. The second one that came to mind too is just impaired social functioning. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that most people would guess that about me because I'm a bit more extroverted and I can keep conversations with people and I can be friendly and stuff. But I always have this kind of 
feeling that I don't quite belong or that people aren't a true peer with me or they don't really understand me. Mm. And that I think springs from like without being fully seen and known, we cannot be truly loved or belong. Like that's one of Brené Brown's findings, you know, like without love and belonging, there's always suffering is what she says. And you can't really be loved if you're not fully seen for who you are. And there's been so much editing, self-editing of myself over the years where like there's just bypassing of my desires and the thoughts in my head so that I don't say the words that I actually want to say. And, you know, there's just this, overall positioning that I've always done so that I'm in right standing with God and in the community. And by doing that, I haven't allowed myself to be seen authentically for who I am and what I struggle with and what I do and what I know um, or what I think I know. And instead it's, uh, you know, I'm putting forth a a version of what I think is the best or um, what would be accepted or tolerated. And I've try to be better about that now that I've deconstructed and actually just, you know, be honest and authentic. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole journey because when you're in the church, you know what's expected of you. And now that I'm not in the church and I'm making friends with people who are just, you know, random folks, I don't know what the expectation is. Mm -hmm. And you would think like, well, great. You don't know what the expectation is. Just be yourself. And I find it so hard to know how to operate almost in those spheres because I'm so used to knowing the standard and meeting the standard and then feeling comfort Mm. in having some of those black and whites. Um, So even though I can have conversations and friendships, I found that since leaving the church, I just feel a little bit more like I'm floundering and I can't quite click with people. And you were probably the first person that I clicked with in school. Like, we, I think that initially I just knew before even saying anything to you that like you must have been a Christian at some point. <laughs> There's always like that knowing when you talk to people who have come out of the church where you, you, it's almost like you can pinpoint the people that are from your country when you're a foreigner in a different land. Like if you go travel and you're like, hmm, I think those people must be Canadian. Like I, I can recognize the way they speak, <laughs> you know? Totally. And we had some conversations in school. And I was like, I think that. I think that she was a Christian, you know, <laughs> but for the most part, like if you just meet a random person, you you have no idea what their upbringing is like or what their values are, or if they're a good person or a bad person, if they didn't grow up in church, then they have totally different values than me. And I don't know what to expect and I don't know how to act. And it just completely derails, I think, the way I, I can be friends with people or let myself be seen. And so definitely a work in progress there. There's the control issue where I think sometimes people find that religion gives them a really clear black and white framework. Then within that framework, they know what the rules are and they know how to interact and they know what's expected of them. So Mm -hmm. especially if you're a perfectionist, which I think perfectionism was actually on the list of of problems, right? Yes. (laughs) But like, it's like that is not seen that way when you're in the church, but there is a lot of relief in a sort of, in a world that seems chaotic to know exactly how you're supposed to act, know exactly what you are and aren't allowed to say, know exactly how you're supposed to be and how to quote unquote connect with people and Mm -hmm. interactions are supposed to look like because they're quite controlled and they're quite, everyone's agreed to the same uh, standards of interaction. And so it's sort of funny because 
what you actually have isn't this really free and accepting community. You have a really controlled community that knows Mm -hmm. exactly how they all fit. And that brings the people there a great deal of comfort, which there's nothing wrong with that, but just that it's a very artificial in that sense. Right. Yeah. And when you couple that with the messaging that is always in church, that people outside, like you said, oh, they have different values than me. They, you know, they're different. This, And that was a huge thing that actively separates Christians from other people on purpose as if they're almost non-human or non-loving or non, like they're mm-hmm. so much different and their values are so different and they're almost, um, controlled by Satan in a weird sense. Yeah. And I always just assumed not that people were bad outside the church, but that they had no moral guiding like principles or Mm -hmm. you're telling me that you in the church can love your child that you gave birth to more than someone outside the church can love their child they gave birth to. I started to realize that actually a lot of people outside live more true to their values and oh, yeah. true to their empathy and more true to their, because they don't have any theological frameworks holding them back from being those things. Mm-hmm. So if they feel like something isn't right or isn't good or is harmful or is unjust, they can just fix it. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. I like, I think that a lot of the most loving and uh, like fruit of the spirit <laughs> Uh, that I've seen hasn't been from Christians. It's yeah. been it's been from people who have been outside the church. And yet, even though that's been my experience, I have uh, difficulty uh, assuming that that's going to be my experience. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I maybe just like trying to overcome some of that programming. That like I just feel like it's going to be an uncertain social exchange, and I miss. I miss just the the ease that came from relationships before when things were just so cut and dry. And I I just feel like it can be, it's just more difficult for me, I think, to to make meaningful friendships as an adult who's deconstructed <laughs> when all my other relationships were so pre-programmed. I haven't had to sort out some of those things with friends. And yeah, and you're sort that, of born into it too, right? So it's like- yeah. you- you you you're born into this system that you know exactly what the interactions are supposed to be like and you're born into like a set of friends and, it, and you're right it is really cut and dry and super easy to actually go out of your way to from scratch connect mm-hmm. with other connect with other humans on a human level rather mm-hmm. than just based on a shared religion that takes yeah. so much work do you actually have to really work to listen to people and you actually have to put yourself in someone else's shoes and be empathetic it's also vulnerable like that's the part mm. that I think is really difficult for me like all of it's new for yeah. me <laughs> but the biggest thing is if I'm actually not going to self-edit and if I'm actually going to be authentic and say what I think even if I am anticipating wrath or something or mm. disagreement or debate or anger or something that's a really vulnerable position to be in to actually let myself be seen and have the chance to be rejected because yeah. before you would be you might be rejected or not cared for or respected in the church and stuff but if you felt like you were doing everything right there was comfort in knowing like well I'm doing everything right so if they don't like me or if they don't respect me that's 
between them and God, you know, like I could just walk away from that. And it didn't touch me in the same way because it wasn't truly who I was, right? It's, mm-hmm. It was a facade of who I was. So if you knock down the facade, okay, that's annoying, but you didn't knock down me. But if I let my true self be seen and you have the chance to reject me, now that that's hurtful. That's really hurtful. That hurts who I am, Mm. who I truly am, you know? So yeah, the whole process of learning to be vulnerable again, right? Like Mm -hmm. when you are used to acting in sort of ways in which you have an avatar that is a version of you, not just that you're projecting, but that people are seeing themselves that they project onto you. So here's Krista. She's the good Christian. She's the worship leader. She's married a lovely Christian person. You know, Mm -hmm. she's got four lovely children or whatever your, you know, whatever your thing is in, in the church circles, right? Mm -hmm. So your adherence to the community codes and what's acceptable is how people are layering those things onto you and learning to actually be vulnerable and, and get past that and see past other people's avatars as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't think it's that practiced. Like, I just don't think it's that practiced in church because you know, we talked about our last episode, where there's these emotions, these specific emotions that you're meant to arrive at consistently. Um, And so you have a whole bunch of people with these avatars of projecting these Christian, quote unquote, values that they're supposed to be emanating out because you're radically changed by Jesus and your answer is the answer for the whole world. And so if you're not Mm -hmm. these things, then like what hope is there for the planet? If you're, if the answer isn't Jesus, then what hope is there? And it's sort of like, well, maybe it's not, maybe just deal with some real issues and real emotions and real worries and real fears. And maybe Mm -hmm. we can talk some of this out human to human And that is petrifying to like, have to start to do that, right? And to pick that away and get rid of that avatar. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other component of just relationships and social functioning is in church, we have all of these predetermined times that we are together. And when you're outside of the church, then you're just living your life alone (laughs) and you don't have these like Mm -hmm. I see Sarah every Sunday morning from Mm -hmm. 10 to 12 because we go to church together and we see each other every Wednesday for Bible study and you know things like that Mm -hmm. and um, so I do miss aspects of that in my life now where it's like I wish that I had a church to go to that was a non-church where I could you know have some like structured gathering or something in my life but at the same time like in reality, there is still churches around and I could go visit for the sake of fellowship, but the timing's inconvenient and I'm used to not going now. So I don't actually know if in reality that would work for me or not, but um, just another component of that kind of social circle and social norms with church where your your relationships are integrated into your uh, weekly processes. Mm-hmm. So um, without having like schedule like I'm not I don't schedule my relationships for the most part I guess you and I have a scheduled call on Tuesdays but (laughs) um, otherwise it's like you you call and text friends when you think about them and you get together on the weekends or you get something on the calendar and then when you're adult that means you see your friends like once every three months because (laughs) life happens but um, I do miss that kind of structure with church where you would just see people a lot more often and you would live life with them 
Um, and now I feel like my friends are all scattered and we connect, but it's, it's just different. It's just a completely different environment and I'm not used to it. Yeah. And I think a thing is too, is like what we're actually craving often as humans isn't necessarily church. It's just a committed community, right? Yeah. So, So any community that is going to, like, I've thought about this a lot, but like any community that you're born and raised in, that you have these set times that you meet, your whole life is actually catered around that community. So your life requires you to be involved in that community, right? Like you Mm -hmm. almost, in some ways, you don't really have the option of just going whenever um, your life allows you to, you're expected of your life to devote that kind of time and effort and energy to keep that community afloat. So it does, it is a high demand community that expects a lot of your emotion and time from you. Mm -hmm. So if we had another similarly functioning community that people just randomly decided they wanted to to start that demanded that kind of like you don't really move out of your community that three nights a week you're committed to to being there you stack chairs you cook dinners you whatever Mm -hmm. like then that community would probably be as rich and as meaningful and as connected as the things that you had in church regardless of whether it was religious or not it's just that committed dedication to getting to know people, being there consistently, showing up when stuff needs to be moved or washed or done, whatever. And the problem is, is that no community is going to do that once you no longer kind of believe that you're compelled to go either because of hell or because you are desperately wicked and you need to be changed by God and whatever, because everyone else is going to move if they need to move. Once you have an independent idea of yourself, like you have a more developed sense of self, that actually works against community because you're trying to listen to yourself and you're trying to do what's good for your time and for your energy and for your well-being and for your mental health. And so we kind of understand well-being now as having time to just be calm and quiet and maybe going for a walk if you need it or spending a date night with your partner whenever you can squeeze that in. Whereas the church framework would be like church comes first Mm -hmm. and then everything else has to fit in around that. So we just don't have that kind of time anymore. And that's, I think that's part of the problem is once we try to have a balanced life, it's very difficult to commit to that kind of community and forming that kind of community that would be different than church. Whereas church actually, as we talked about, one of the symptoms is an underdeveloped sense of self, right? And difficulty Mm -hmm. socializing outside of church because the church demands that you don't really have a developed sense of self and that you're there all the time with only church people. So, you know what I mean? That's why some of those symptoms are there is because that community that we get a lot of comfort from is also all encompassing. Yeah. Well, and that's probably my, the next one. And my biggest one, I think on the entire list is uh, the underdeveloped sense of self. And that Mm -hmm. whole, that whole bullet point is, is, is me (laughs) right now and forever, like, well, not forever. I'm working through it. (laughs) Confusion, difficulty making decisions, trouble thinking of self and a lack of meaning or direction underdeveloped sense of self. And, um, I feel like this just permeates my whole life right now. And it's been, it's been kind of a journey for me because it's not like now that I'm out of the church, I can recognize that 
I, I want to do different things and I can actually do them. And like my desires aren't evil or bad. Mm. I can actually pursue other things. And yet just because I can recognize that I can actually live, you know, a life of meaning doesn't mean that I have the habits formed or the skills or the momentum in my life to do that because it's all it's all new to me Mm -hmm. and even thinking about making decisions for myself or having a vision for myself or like standing like standing up for myself in certain ways uh even if it inconveniences my family uh it just comes with so much emotional baggage and back and forth in my own head of like oh well let's say I wanted to do something this is something minor but I want to um, exercise more and that would actually be good for me as part of you know a healthy life vision that I have for myself but if I want to exercise and I feel like it's going to inconvenience my partner who needs to watch my daughter then I feel like I should put him first and not go and do those things and sacrifice myself and that's just like one tiny little component not to mention something as big as like a life vision for myself of let's say I want to go back to school and get my master's and how how could I do that if my entire modeling and thought process and habits and um, environmental cues and everything are all telling me um, unconsciously and consciously that I need to, you know, make dinner for my husband. I need to take care of my daughter. I need to clean up the house. I need to put him first. And that would be really hard on them. And, you know, just all of those things come at you every single time you try to do it different. Mm. And on top of that, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So I I didn't even have anybody to model it for me of like, what does a woman even working in the world do if she has a kid and a husband? And now I'm doing that. I do have a full-time job, but it's it's not my perfect vision for my life yet. And I'd like to make adjustments, but I have to really wrestle with doing every single step along the way from the little things to the big things. It's not as easy of like, oh, I'm going to make an action plan and then I'm going to you know, go through my steps and go through my goals and I'm going to put them in my calendar and I'm going to do them. It's, it's not that easy for me. It's, it's a struggle every single time to do something as simple as going for a 15 minute run, because I have to combat all of my modeling and training and thought process and emotional life. And I have to be conscious about too, like, why, why am I not doing the things that I know that I want to do? why can't I do those? And like really sit and think like, why, why am I not doing them? Like, I know what I want to do and yet I don't do it. And I find myself cleaning, <laughs> you know, and I do like a clean house. Don't get me wrong, but I, it's a productive procrastination and something familiar and something that actually clicks off a lot of the values that I used to have of being a submissive wife and somebody who serves and somebody who sacrifices herself and put others first and trying to rewire that is very, very difficult for me. <laughs> I mean, yes to every single thing there. I think that that is a function of patriarchal norms where um, that are deeply embedded in the theology that we grew up with about what women are for. Women are for men, they're for sex, they're for wives, they're for mothers. The women are for men. And 
I think that value system to try and figure out how just who you are as a human, like it's something my partner doesn't understand either, where it's just like, yeah, but you say you want these things. Why don't you just like do this? And I'm like, because I am going over all of these mental hurdles and Mm -hmm. value systems and internal wiring Mm -hmm. and kind of like the, almost like the, the nervous system responses to why does it feel so comfortable that I'm bleaching my floor? Yes. (laughs) This feels really nice to me. Uh, Whereas, you know, taking an extra course or deciding something and articulating it and then doing it feels extremely uncomfortable and makes me deeply afraid. And I just Mm -hmm. want to avoid it. My nervous system is like, no, 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 we don't do those things. Um, it's not often recognized the amount of mental and sort of emotional hurdles that you have to kind of go through to even not just figure out who you are, but when you actually have a desire or have a thing you want to do, how hard it is to actually get over those hurdles and get to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's quite the challenge. There's just no way around it, right? Um, the other that I have, like, I don't know how much time I can spend on. I have such a laundry list of these signs and symptoms. <laughs> I don't know if I, I should, should touch on every single that. one. <laughs> like, oh, you like, get oh. a sign and then I get a sign and symptom. And then, oh, yet another one. It's like I'm winning left, right, and center. Tell me about this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe the next one I'll uh, jump to is uh, my discomfort with uh, sexuality and enjoying pleasures or being present. I don't think that I would have ever actually admitted this, um, or known this until more recently. Cause when I was married and in a Christian marriage or set up there, I actually thought that everything was fine. I thought everything was great and fine and perfect. And it wasn't until everything blew up in my face that I realized (laughs) that things weren't fine. And, um, and now living more of like a free life, I can see so many red flags and I guess I just have a more objective perspective now. I can look back as far as just like being in my teenage years and even then didn't feel like I could have consent over my body, like give consent over my body. Like if I had been friendly with a boy at like a party or something like that, and then he started showing interest in me, I didn't actually feel like I had the right to say no to him. And that is just so concerning to me now as, you know, a 39 year old adult that even at, you know, 16, I didn't, the, the subliminal messages that had been sent to me basically was that my body was for the pleasure of men. Mm. And if a man or a boy wanted me, I couldn't tell them no. And of course, like my parents would have been like, you can tell them no. <laughs> you know, like I don't know exactly where that messaging, that specific messaging came from, but it did lead to an experience where I didn't want to participate with a boy when I was, I think I was 17 at the time. And I literally could not figure out how to say no in the, in, in the moments and uh, just kind of laid there and cried my eyes out after everything was finished because I didn't want that to happen. And I was kind of like trying to inch away and try to 
like make little motions to show like, okay, I think we can be over with this now. And obviously he didn't understand my cues, my very subtle subliminal cues. He didn't read my mind and um, really quite devastating actually. Like if that happened to my daughter, I would just be so hurt for her. And yet I carried the guilt and I still carry that guilt today of like, I should have known better. I should have said no. And yet I can also have compassion on myself now. Like for one, I was 17. I was like a child. Mm-hmm. And um, like, what a, what a sad situation to, f- to be in a position where you don't actually feel like you can have autonomy. And so that's just like the foundational perspective, I guess I had even going into more of an adult life, being married to a Christian man. But you can imagine, like, if I felt like that was just a random teenage boy at a party, how much stronger I would feel um, to please my husband and submit to my husband and give to my husband, even if I didn't want to, Um, you know, and it's just like that discomfort with sexuality, like, it's not, it's not even just with the act itself but just like knowing yourself and knowing what you like and knowing what you don't like and feeling like you have the right to say no or yes or like a hell yes even like I think a lot of times as women when we go up in the church you if you were like I love sex (laughs) people would be like wow she's weird and that's not modest but like now as somebody who's kind of outside the church, if my friends are really enjoying their sex life and they're having a great time with their partners, I'm so happy for them, you know? (laughs) And that that just wasn't my experience or takeaway in the the Christian realm. Yeah. So I'm definitely in a different place today with a partner um, that I've been with now for six years and we have a child together, but this is something that I continually have to work on and do do my part. Like a lot of this is not my, it's not my partner's problem, right? Like he can't fix Krista who wants to show up and submit to him and please him and everything and consent to him out of um, some sort of obligation. He wants me to show up as a whole healed woman and consent when I want to. And that was also like a bit of a, um, a mind fuck for me like in the beginning of our relationship to hear him tell me like if you don't want to have sex with me right now you don't have to it's not a big deal like you're not you're not responsible for me I'm not gonna be mad at you and it was like I cried when he said that and then I also didn't believe him like I thought okay well that's nice that you said that right now but we'll see in a couple of days yeah. if you use that against me and if you get mad at me because I didn't do my duty and you know you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and then the other shoe just never dropped and it's still taking me years to be like I still feel guilty every time um, he might make an advance at me and I don't and I'm not in the mood or something like just actually saying no right now I don't feel like it and listening to myself and honoring myself on one hand feels nice but saying no feels really uncomfortable for me still yeah like you're being a bad like a bad partner or a bad wife like it's yeah. so ingrained that whole consent issue is kind of what we're talking about it's like you are trained from a young person not just generally as a woman but specifically in evangelicalism that your body and your future is sort of betrothed to some unknown man and 
the day that you get married, that is when you get to be not only a whole and complete being, but you get to finally have sex and you get to experience whatever, but it's for, you're saving yourself for this person. And that's the exact wording that's used Mm -hmm. for their Mm -hmm. benefit and for their pleasure and joy. And the consent that you have is almost zero because across the board from all accounts that I have come across online and elsewhere is that women feel this incredible guilt about saying no to their partners and Mm -hmm. that you're right, that there's going to be either some kind of retaliation or resentment, or there's going to be some kind of um, almost like accumulation of debt in a weird way. So this partner, if every time you say no, they're going to be unhappy and miserable. And like I had sort of said before, they'll wander off to somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. The messaging we have about men is that they are these insatiable beasts and that's how God created them. So God created them to be visual and sexual and like aggressive and all this kind of stuff. And then we were created for them. And so our job as women is to placate them, is to meet those needs, to be the thing that they uh, kind of work all their desires out on um, because God made those things that way. And so it's almost like you're in the way of those things that God made in that man that you have in your life. And when you get in the way of that, then there's going to be resentment and there's going to be bitterness and there's going to be frustration and all these kind of things. And you're right. It is a total mind fuck when someone's like, do you think I'm just like, I don't care if we don't have anything right now like this. Like we're just humans who are busy and tired and have schedules and whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're adults like we're just working through whatever that I have no expectations of you. I have no, you have, don't have a debt to me. You don't, mm-hmm. I don't expect performance from you. I don't. And it's like, what? Yeah, totally. <laughs> like mind blown. And I like at the beginning and I don't want to, I'm always so wary of like, not that we have any followers. Like if we had a lot of followers, maybe <laughs> like oversharing would be a thing, but like, we probably have like three. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like at the beginning, it's just like keeping a tally in my head of making sure that have they been touched today? How many times have we had sex this week? Like keeping mm-hmm. running tally of, I guess, in a sense, my obligation of what it would be to be a good wife in order to please the person that I do love so much, mm-hmm. but making sure that they're not unhappy and that they don't just, again, like wander off to somebody else. Um, because yeah. that's what I, that's what we are told in marriage books, Christian marriage books I'm talking about. That's what you're told. It's like, this is what a man is. This is what a woman is. And this is what a man needs. And this is what a man wants. And if you don't give him those things, he's going to, ew. I it's re- your fault that he leaves you, cheats on you and finds somebody else. Because he was unsatisfied. And so your consent in a dynamic like that, your consent goes out the window because it's not actually, it's about you maintaining that marriage and you keeping that marriage afloat by abiding by the correct um, codes that you need to do. And so if your marriage fails, it's either because God isn't involved enough 
or because you weren't a good enough wife or submissive enough or that dynamic that's expected of you of the leadership and the submissiveness that that is somehow off. So you're in contract with this person. It's not actually a equal relationship. Yeah, exactly. I think it's also tied to, um, like I have difficulty expressing emotions, especially like anger being in conflict with people. And in the same line with sexuality and consent, there is also the that fear, like you talked about, of like retaliation or having some sort of conflict in when you're trying to keep a relationship perfect <laughs> so that they don't leave you and they're and you're, you know, the perfect wife and they're not going to be angry with you, then it's just it becomes like this really complex dynamic of like, you're trying to keep the peace. You do love this person, but maybe you don't want to have sex right now and trying to figure out a way that you can like, almost like get out of it. Like I would try to come up with excuses. Sometimes my previous relationship, that would be like, uh, just accepted. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm on my period (laughs) or something like that. You know, anything like if I just wasn't in the mood, but, um, I do feel like it's a little bit tricky because when you're in a monogamous relationship, you're with one person with the understanding that we're the only one person in the world that gets to satisfy each other sexually. Mm. And, um, but there are also seasons to relationships and, and your sexuality with your partner and sex changes over the years and everything. And now if I thought that I was compromising and doing things and not honoring myself as much, I would recognize that pattern. But just in relationships in general, I think that there's always kind of that give and take that you pay attention to where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to give it a try because I love them and I'll see if I enjoy this or not versus like the times where you know you absolutely don't want to and then not listening to yourself. Like, I think that there's a big difference between that. You you only know when you're in a relationship with a person for your for yourself. Where that is. Where that line is. And once you've actually deconstructed a bit, like if you're in the church and you're still operating in those submissive ways of marriage where like you don't get a say, like, I don't know that you would, I don't know if a person in that space would ever be bold enough to listen to their body and actually confront the situation and say, absolutely not. I do not want to have sex right now. Don't touch me again. <laughs> you know, like back off. I'm serious. And be ready for the retaliation or for the for the conflict that might arise, you know, and I don't, I, that's the other thing that I think is really sad that in the Christian way or the evangelical way that it's been presented, it's like, you should be expecting them to be mad at you. You know, yeah. you should be expecting that they'd be angry, they'd be upset or um, because you're not doing your duty. And it's like, well, it's, that's why it's so weird and foreign to me when my own partner is like, no, that's fine. Like, you don't owe me anything. You're not responsible for my sexual satisfaction. Like I'm also a person <laughs> who can take care of myself. You start to, once you're out, you start to realize the extent to which the church makes an idol of sex because it's actually one small facet of our existence as humans. And I don't oh, mean yeah. like the complex layers of how we get labeled in society and sexuality, how that factors in and how um, I think of, you know, a lot of LGBTQ stuff where there's like laws against just even being allowed to love who you want to love. Obviously that's going to be a huge part of your identity when it's being railed against by, by policies and by law. 
but I just mean in terms of like living out your daily life of doing laundry and cooking and having a job and maybe raising kids or tending to family needs, travel, doing all that stuff. Like sex is just this small part of who Mm -hmm. you are as a facet of a human. Some people Mm -hmm. are asexual. They don't even care. So like as our existence on this earth kind of pans out as humans, you just start to see this whole breadth of what we are as people. We have all of these things that worry us and keep us up at night and and turn um, us hopeful and mindful and make us tick and make us go and whatever. And sexuality is a huge part of just trying to understand who we are. But in terms of a slice of the pie, like it's just when you have a broader perspective, it's just, yeah. a thing. it's a thing that couples do and you can feel close through it and you get to learn about each other and you get to learn about yourself. And all of this is just part of having a healthy relationship with another human, but yeah. in the Christian sphere, it's everything. It's oh, like yeah. literally from the time you even start to get a whiff of puberty in your life. It's just like how short your clothes, um, aren't allowed to be like what kind of fabrics you shouldn't be wearing, what kind of styles you shouldn't be doing, like how you shouldn't be interacting with boys, how this, how that it's like your entire life is framed by you being a woman and being possibly a a sort of a stumbling block for somebody else's sexual desires. And then you're supposed to just wait and be this virgin until you get married. And then marriage is just a bunch of sex. Like, I don't even (laughs) like, I, like, I definitely did think that marriage would just be a bunch of sex. I <laughs> I thought that that's what we were going to do most of the time. <laughs> and I said this in one of the, another podcast, but like in our premarital counseling with my previous husband, they asked like, okay, well, how, how frequently do you guys want to have sex? And I was just like, well, every day, right? Like... <laughs> and having one, no actual conversation yeah it's like why would you ask me that um I like I know exactly. <laughs> ask me in a couple years I'll tell you if I figured it out nobody's actually talked about it openly as you grow up nobody's talked about their own experiences with it growing up and when they do talk about their own experiences it doesn't even mean that that's accurate because everyone's sexual experiences are so different and mm-hmm. so it's just this insane thing that just becomes this idol that really is just this non-issue when you're a functioning, happy, healthy, whole person who has boundaries and who has consent and who knows themselves because then you just are with somebody who also respects you for those things and you just figure it out and you talk about it like normal humans, like you talk about your taxes or debt (laughs) consolidation or... or going back to school or like whatever it is or your travel plans <laughs> or your travel plans it's one of the things that you talk about as a facet of you as a complete whole human being and yeah. it's just made to be this huge thing that really then becomes extremely stressful and uh detrimental to a lot of women in how they're placed in that relationship with their partners who they're who they're bound to for life should i say yeah <laughs> you know? So you have nowhere to go. If it's really bad and abusive and unequal and whatever, you don't have anything that you can kind of work with, right? As a very short sidebar, I would also say that the fact that 
sex isn't really talked about very much in the church. Like there on some on some level it's talked about a lot. Yes. And on another level, no one's quite explicit about <laughs> like the act of sex and what's expected of you almost. And so oh, man, like we we weren't allowed to watch porn growing up. I'm sure that you weren't allowed to watch porn growing up either. No. But I go into my marriage and like for the most part, if you haven't been, you know, dabbling in sex stuff as you've been going through puberty, you have no idea what you're doing. And yet you're expected to be an expert. And then you're also not supposed to, you know, reach out to educational programs, which I would say porn. <laughs> you you can probably find something better than porn or the right porn if you're um, good at looking. But, you know, something like 90% of adolescents who access porn when they were surveyed about it say like they just did it because they were curious. You know, they were curious. And I would say the same thing for me. Like I almost wish that. I had been brave enough to look at some porn almost as like an educational material to like, you know, almost like my natural geographic uh, episode be like, okay, what, what do these people do? Like, I just felt like I was really ill-equipped. Like, obviously I knew the, the ins and outs of what was going to take place and everything, but when you're expected to be an expert and yet you don't know like how the experts do it or like how they position themselves or anything like it's just, I, I know other mature couples would just figure it out together, you know, and actually talk together like you, what you're saying. But in the Christian world, you're just expected to be, you know, the gold medal winner of the sex championship yes, for your ring with your, for your husband on the yeah. first night of your wedding. <laughs> that's what they've you're been like, waiting for for their whole life. Yeah. It's not framed. Like, even if you did have access to educational materials, like, um, about how things work and whatever. I think the problem is, is that it's, you're not going into it as a whole person. You're not going into it with the understanding that you have a right to your own body and that you also have the ability to, um, enjoy it for yourself. Like women are oh, yeah. that. So even if like, Couples can figure it out by themselves. That's fine. That happens all the time because everyone yes. the first time. That's not so much the issue in my mind is that not knowing how stuff works. It's more that you go in on an unequal footing that you don't mm -hmm. have right to yourself and you don't actually exist on the earth for having pleasure yourself that it your design and your creation your purpose as a woman is to be for the man, not just in sex, but in life and mm -hmm and be in that submissive role. And so it's very difficult to quote unquote, find out anything about yourself with a partner when you're not an equal going into that relationship. And you can yeah. actually, like we said about church culture, like be vulnerable about the emotions and the things that you're actually feeling and thinking because oh, you yeah. are supposed to be a certain way. And I think marriage in general, if we just like step back even from, from sex, it's like, cause I know we'll talk about this again in separate episodes, but like the whole thing of being in a marriage and you are like you had said before, really struggling to carve out a niche for yourself, like a wee little pocket of space 
that is just for Krista because you're always thinking about what your partner needs and what your partner might want to do with their time versus Uh your time. And it's not about, it's not about like death of the community where we're like, Oh, everyone's on their own and everyone's an individual and they look out for themselves. No, that's what the church always tells you is like, Oh, everyone outside the church is just all about individual selfishness and whatever. No, it's finding that balance between where you're healing and where you're becoming a whole person and figuring yourself out and how that melds together with other people's purpose and other people's callings and I not callings, I guess, but like that's too churchy of a word, but other purpose, um, purposes that they feel they have for their lives. So as you merge two humans together into a life and like you guys have a kid, all of a sudden, then you have to navigate these three individual spheres together, but within church, um, framing, women aren't really supposed to. So you're not supposed to have your own sphere. Your purpose from the creation in the Adam Eve story was to be the helper for the man. So your sphere ceases to exist and trying to claw that back and find out not just again, what your sphere even looks like, but then how to protect it and how to draw healthy boundaries between Mm -hmm other people's expectations and spheres um, and, and your own desires and drives. And like, let's be honest when your partner dies, which it's very likely, well, I know that your partner is younger than you, but for most people, their partners die for most women, their partners will die earlier than they do. Cause it's just yeah. men die, whatever statistically. So what are you as your own sphere going to be at the end of your life when that person is gone? You still have to be there for yourself and you still have to figure out what drives you and where you ended up, where you are when you're 70, 80, 90 years old. Right. And so this idea that we just kind of shelve ourselves until what, until a person dies. And then we have to like find ourselves at the age of 80. Like, it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, But yeah, I think that that it's that unequal, that going into the relationship on unequal footing, that is the heart of the problem. Yeah. And it was always preached to me that it was a mutual submission. Like the woman submits Mm. to the wife and the man gives up his life for her. Like Christ gives up his life for the church kind of thing. But in practice, it's like the man gets to lead the home and you submit to your husband, you know, and, Mm. um, and what did that mean? Like, what did, yeah, what, what, what does, does that, that mean to give up his life? And so, yeah. So I think that even now in, in my current relationship, like I've been more mindful to just pay attention to fairness. So like if he goes for a run one night and I put Alice down so that he can go out for a run and I think, well, I get to do that too. You know, I get to say mm-hmm. to him like, Hey, um, tomorrow I'm going to let you take care of our daughter and put her to bed and I'll go out for a run. And I do it so rarely, <laughs> I but I do pay attention to it. Like, oh, okay, he went out with his friends this day and he hung out with his family this other day and he went for a run this night. And so like I have three different times that I could probably just in fairness go to him and say, okay, I'm going to hang out with my girlfriends. I'm going to go spend time with my family and I'm going to go exercise. And he should be 
totally cool with that. Yeah. And he, and I've never had an, a time where he's been annoyed at me bringing those things forward, but it's more my own modeling and just habits where even if I notice it in my head saying like, oh, I could probably put myself first tomorrow. Like he put himself first tonight. I have a really hard time acting on that, or I just don't follow through, or I find it, I find it um, just somehow familiar and comfortable to, you know, make him dinner or something like that and be in those same positions that I've always been in. And so as it goes back to what we were talking about before that underdeveloped sense of self, where even though I, I would rather work out, chase my dreams and spend time with my girlfriends and all this stuff, I more frequently find myself doing what I've always done because changing the pattern is a is uphill hard work every single time mm-hmm. you you make a choice right so you know in progress but definitely not perfect yet yeah and i think there's a lot there's a lot of guilt there and there's also like the almost like the worry of like if you do pursue something how much is it going to expect of you in your time and energy and then will your relationship fail will your Mm -hmm. whatever you know like if you will your house be a mess will your you know like if it if pursuing something does like encompass you what will it make you ask of your partner will it put them out will it you know what I mean it's almost like kind of going back to that the thing that I had mentioned is like, you're trying to make yourself really small, right? Like you're trying to make yourself not inconvenient to, yep. to anyone and not annoy anyone. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to unpack for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you have any other point that sort of had stuck out to you or kind of? Like you oh, well, I had like, I had more things in the in the hat of tricks, like I struggle with my self-worth and not enough, be, never being enough and difficulty expressing mm-hmm. emotions and stuff. But I think we've touched on a lot of these ones. I don't want to, you know, beat a dead drum also. So I <laughs> beat a dead drum. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like people get the point at this point. Like Krista's, Krista's been dealing with a lot of issues in her deconstruction. <laughs> Christmas brain is tired and needs a nice calming holiday. And I'll just say at the very beginning, I did mention that all of these things that I've struggled with haven't been like these acute, like crazy, overpowering things in my life, but they still have been main players. I think you can see like even our discussion, how, how they've manifested in my life, but I've still been able to function enough as an, as a person that initially I would have never thought that any of these things were because of my deconstruction or leaving the church or um, an issue quote unquote an issue in my life and it's only been probably very recently that I've been able to even recognize that like oh wow these these signs and symptoms all couple together perfectly (laughs) in this religious trauma syndrome and maybe I have had difficulty like trying to actually accept the fact that these have been challenging. Well, yeah, because that's part of it too, is to minimize there's yeah. where you never want to be a complainer and ungrateful. And so you minimize your own experience, but you also part of it is like part of the suffering servant kind of um, ideal where 
well, following Christ is going to produce suffering and you're going to suffer and it's not going to be easy and the burden is not going to be simple. And, and so kind of you minimize it that way too, where you go, well, if I'm feeling these ways, well, just, you know, buck it up. Think of what Jesus did. He died on the cross. Surely whatever I'm suffering isn't the same as getting nails through the hand. So you sort of minimize your own again, like that, I had talked about the disassociation, like you, you disassociate from what your own body is telling you repeatedly. So your body's like, something's not right. Like this doesn't feel great. Or like going to my partner and saying that I'm too tired and I don't want to, that doesn't feel right. Um, none of this is sort of sitting right with me, but I just kind of deal with it. And like you said, I kind of function anyway. And that's like a long-term thing that Again, you sometimes don't really notice when you're in that framework because the church framework that you're looking towards is telling you that you're doing the right thing. So every time that you submit to your husband in that framework and you're like, well, I'll just do it because this will make him happy, even though your body's telling you this is not, I don't want to yeah. do it, it's not great. The framework you're in is telling you you're doing the right thing and part of Christ following Christ is suffering. So just keep pushing through those emotions and pushing through the pain and pushing through the anger and pushing through all these kind of things to do the right thing because that's what you're called to do. And then as soon as you start to leave that framework behind and you have to like shift your whole framework, then you realize, like you said, all these things crop up or you realize, oh, I actually don't know myself and I, I'm having a really difficult time moving forward in my life. And yeah. so you have these new markers that you're trying to, where you're trying to listen to yourself and you're trying to function in society and you're trying to do all these things and you realize you have none of the tools and you have your nervous system isn't wired to do the things that you really actually are trying to want to do. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, it's like, while you're in it, it's not that your body isn't saying things to you. It's just that the framework you're in is telling you, oh, don't worry about that silly yeah. old anger that's coming up or that resentment or that just ignore that. Those are bad emotions. Shove those aside. You're doing the right thing. You're following Christ. You're being submissive. You're, you know, you're putting Christ and, and your church first ahead of your goals and your dreams. And you're, you know, you're doing all the right things. And so you kind of comfort yourself with that. And then it's like when you realize that, oh, why am I spending my entire life trying to adhere to these codes what if I do pursue some of these things? And then when you try to go and pursue them, then your body's like, no, we don't know how to navigate this space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is this free floating atmosphere where I can just be who I want to be? And I don't understand. Please give me my little cage back that tells me exactly how I'm supposed to behave and what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. The The last thing I'll just say too, is I, I have been getting help I believe in therapy. <laughs> it's been yes. um, a huge benefit for me to have some professionals to talk to. And even um, one of the professionals I'm talking to right now is just um, a career coach. And she has um, she has specialty even counseling too, but she specializes in career stuff. And it's remarkable to me how much of our sessions really just focus on a lot of the things that we've talked about today because they, they come up and <laughs> in, in me even just trying to, you know, get a better job or something and mm -hmm. do something more meaningful with my life. But um, all that to say that if anybody is listening and some of these things that Sarah or I have talked about in our own life have um, resonated with you, I just so encourage people if they are able to to get therapy and to get help because um, having a professional work with you is just you you 
grow leaps and bounds and get a lot more understanding and accountability for your growth as well as, as you go through it. So I would just recommend that wholeheartedly. That's solid advice to leave this episode on for sure. Yeah. You can't just pray this one away. (laughs) You need help. Get some help. help. (laughs) Yeah. You can pray and you can get help. (laughs) We'll leave leave you on that. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Okay. Until next time then. Thank you.